Here it is. From deep inside your audio device of choice. Ladies and gentlemen, some smart stuff. Our house is a very, very, very smart house. Right now, it's not about uh, your house, but about your car wash. It's all connected, isn't it? Researchers say they have found a way to hack an Internet-enabled car wash, because that's so important, and to make it attack the customer's Hey, I understand a bank attacking its customers, but a car wash they warned criminals could easily exploit the laser wash car washes, making um, your door close too early, or the roller arm oh no, the doors of the uh, car wash, or the roller arms crush the tops of cars. Ouch! Uh, researchers say the manufacturer PDQ ignored warnings about the risks for two years. PDQ told the BBC it's urgently investigating the issues. Been Internet-connected car washes for two years? Laser wash installations can be remotely monitored and controlled by their owners. Oh, well, that's a bonus for the customer, isn't it? Via a web-based interface. In a presentation at the Black Hat Good Hacker Conference in Las Vegas, Billy Rios of a security firm, well, two guys, Billy Rios and Jonathan Butts, showed how easily the system could be hijacked. First of all, they warned that the uh, washer's windows control systems, that is to say, control systems operated by the windows operating system, not window washers control systems, are not being supported by Microsoft anymore, so hackers might be able to exploit hidden loopholes. More worryingly, they managed to hack into an actual car wash by using the default password 12345. That is a smart car wash, ladies and gentlemen. Once logged in, they could control it in a dangerous way. We've written an exploit to cause a car wash system to physically attack. It will strike anyone in the car wash, said Rios. In their talk, the pair showed how they would be able to close car wash doors on a car entering the washer, and they could also make the roller arms come down much lower and crush the roof, provided there were no mechanical barriers in place. They shared their findings with PDQ two years ago. The firm only replied to their emails this year. PDQ has now alerted its customers. All systems, especially Internet-connected ones, they say, must be configured with security in mind, ensuring, uh, including ensuring that all default passwords have been changed. What a good idea. One, two, three, four, four. It's a smart old world, and hello, welcome to the show.
from Santa Monica, California, home of the homeless at the edge of America. I'm Harry Shearer welcoming you to this week's edition of the show. And ladies and gentlemen, time to ask, which, which side, are, do we know which side we're on? Question occasioned by my reading news from outside the bubble. The West's policy on Syria has been thrown into disarray due to sweeping advances by al-Qaeda-linked militants in the northwest of the country, gaining the upper hand in the largest area of opposition-held territory. This is uh, reported from Istanbul in the Guardian newspaper. The assertion of control by the former al-Qaeda affiliate previously known as al-Nusra Front, now known as Hayat Tahrir al-Sham, HDS, over the province of Idlib, comes amid the scaling back of American support for rebel groups that led to fears that Assad's allies, including Moscow, would use the move as a pretext for a broad and devastating military campaign in that province against the former al-Qaeda affiliate. The future of the North is in great danger, says the U.S. State Department's Syria envoy. If HTS's control of Idlib is realized, it will be difficult for the U.S. to convince other international parties to refrain from necessary military measures, unquote. Western diplomat says there's no evidence yet that either Russia or the Syrian government are gearing up for a broad attack on Idlib, but the stark acknowledgement by the U.S. it could be unable or possibly unwilling to prevent such a campaign was the clearest sign yet of the alarm at the militants' gains, and it sees no benefit to continuing to overtly back the rebellion against the Assad regime, which gives Moscow greater leverage over the outcome of the conflict. Idlib was seized by a group of largely Islamist opposition fighters supported by U.S.-backed rebels in a major campaign two years ago. The two most powerful groups in the province were the Islamist Ahra al-Sham and the former Al-Qaeda affiliate, now known as HTS. Where are the moderate rebels? that We, we trained five of them, I remember. The general testified to that. Is there a, a, a right side to be on in Syria? News from outside the bubble, ladies and gentlemen, a copyrighted feature of this broadcast. You know what the dead zone is, I hope, by this time. If not, let me be the bearer of those tidings, of high tidings. The dead zone is a, a place in the Gulf of Mexico every year where hypoxia occurs, that is to say, no oxygen day. Well, researchers have cruised the northern Gulf every summer for the last three decades to study the extent of hypoxia. This year, they found the largest area ever on record, 8,772 square miles, about the size of New Jersey. So let's send Chris Christie there. This year's dead zone is about 50% larger than normal, according to researcher at LSU, Nancy Rabelais. This year's dead zone was likely even larger than what the scientists found, but there was insufficient time on board the ship to measure its entire extent. This year's large dead zone was driven primarily, according to Ars Technica, by high nitrogen loads from the Mississippi River due to heavy use of fertilizers in the Midwestern United States. In some locations, conditions were especially extreme. A notable feature of this year's distribution is the mostly continuous band of extremely low oxygen, along shore at the near shore edge of the zone. That's like at the north end of the Gulf. Values there were often less than 0.5 milligrams per liter and close to zero 
milligrams per liter. That's zero oxygen. Who's one of the major users of the fertilizer that gets dumped into the Mississippi River and ends up as the dead zone? Tyson Foods. Toxins from fertilizer and manure, thank you, that pour into the Mississippi from farms throughout America's heartland. One point one five million metric tons from the Midwest flowed into the Gulf into the river last year. Roughly one hundred seventy percent more pollution than was caused by the BP oil spill seven years ago. And we hated that. Biggest contributors to the pollution, small number of meat production companies, including Tyson Foods, the primary contributor, in a report re- released by a group chaired by former Congressman Henry Waxman of Los Angeles. Tyson, which owns, you know, Jimmy Dean Sausage, Sara Lee, and Ballpark. Those are the Franks. And supplies food and grocery chains, including McDonald's and Walmart, consistently ranks among the top polluters, responsible for one of every five pounds of meat produced in the United States. You don't want to know the figures on um, its slaughter rate. It requires five million acres of corn a year just for feed. Tyson's new CEO has declared a focus on sustainability will be at the center of the company's future plans. But the future is a long way off. Tyson's the only meat company with major processing facilities in every state listed by the U.S. Geological Survey is contributing the highest levels of pollution into the Gulf. Much of that contamination comes from the massive quantities of corn and soy grown to raise meat animals. The pollution doesn't just end up in the Gulf, but also in your drinking water. There's a dead zone right in your cup. Each year, according to Courthouse News, 7 million Americans are exposed to unhealthy levels of nitrate contamination in their drinking water. That's quoting a report from the Environmental Working Group. Yeah, the tap water's good here. In 2015, water systems that served 7 million people in 48 states contained dangerously high levels of nitrates. That's just linked to cancer. Agricultural runoff is largely exempt from federal laws that protect drinking water. So you can have food, you can have water. I guess you have to make a choice. Tyson told the Guardian newspaper through a spokeswoman, it's true that the livestock and poultry industry is a major buyer of grain for feed. However, the report fails to note that a large percentage of corn raised in the U.S. is used for biofuel. Blame your car. Tyson Foods is focused on continuous improvement, said the spokeswoman. I guess that means a larger dead zone. Keeping the dead zone alive, Tyson Foods, ladies and gentlemen. Let's have some uh, nuggets and salute them. And now, let's turn to uh, subjects with slightly less density. In television, unlike West Side Story, the sharks always win. And bringing another animated universe to the big screen, hoping to clean up. Gotta be inside Extra Access tonight for the front end of August 2017. everyone, I'm Mike DeVere. And I'm Pat Mungo, sitting in for Javier Morales, who's on green card renewal leave. Millions of people tuned in for the kickoff of Discovery Channel's Shark Week to see Olympian Michael Phelps in a supposed race against a shark. While the shark was computer generated and not in the water with Phelps, the viewers were oh so real. 
And that gave Shark Week executive producer Gavin Placid the answer to the only question that really matters. What's next? Well, first of all, as, as Michael Phelps just proved, nobody beats a shark, not even a CGI shark. But we can keep trying. Uh, there have been plenty of great swimmers, Jim Thorpe, Mark Spitz, even Esther Williams. I couldn't say this before, but now they can be CGI too. Computer-generated images, or CGI, has come a long way off a short pier. And the Shark Week competition is not just going to be between sharks and swimmers. Not by a wide shot. Well, then we thought, uh, well, a shark versus human is a very relatable thing. You know, you like to see people, even CGI people, trying their best. I mean, that's that's why the Olympics is still around. But uh, people love animals, too. Uh, dolphins are wicked fast. Whales, too. So uh, while we've got the CGI computers revved up, we're going to see how sharks stack up against them. We think it's uh, definitely must-try-to-see TV. Discovery is so high on the prospects for computer-generated sharks in all sorts of formats, they're thinking right outside the box. Well, by this time next year, you, uh, you may be referring to us as SharkNet. That's one net that won't catch any tuna. There's a new wave of movies, and it has nothing to do with surfing or the French. These are projects based not on comic books, but on characters from game apps. First came the Angry Birds movie, then the Emoji movie. Now the search for, as it's called, new intellectual property has turned to fertile new ground. Legendary TV ads. The games had all been taken. Hello Kitty was taken. We know. We checked. Yeah. So we started spitballing what was left. What, what, what did we find? <laughs> the most charismatic, bald-headed man since Moby was big. Lowell Simoleon and Mark Scheisskopf came to Hollywood to work in movies. For the last 20 years, they've sold scripts for dozens of films. None of them ever produced. When Akitas were big, we had a script about an Akita, you know, with superpowers. That, that, that got very close to being greenlit. It was, it was yellowlit for like five years. But now the partners think they've hit pay dirt. And the dirt won't hit back. They're developing the Mr. Clean movie. <laughs> Mr. Clean is a, an iconic character with a unique story because mm. he's animated, but he lives in the real world. So, so this is a universe mm -hmm. we can people with, like, people. Right. He never speaks, which our original producers, Repetition Pictures, thought was, was a problem. Yeah. We think it's an avenue to creative possibilities. I mean... What does he sound like? You know, we're, lot, we're not locked in. We can, we can make him whatever we want. But what do the writers envision happening in the Mr. Clean universe? Here's what we know about the character. See? Like, he likes things neat, mm. tidy, yeah. almost antiseptic. Right. So right. who's the enemy in the Mr. Clean mythology? Dirt. People who make money off dirt. Mm -hmm. or people who try to monopolize dirt. Mm -hmm. Government bureaucrats who overregulate dirt. Right. That's what we've got so far. Yeah, we, we think the Mr. Clean movie, or should I say movies, are or is or are a platform for making all kinds of social statements while keeping the focus on a strong character with great white eyebrows. And because in this day and age, every project has to keep diversity in mind, Simoleon and Shyskoff have kept diversity in mind. I don't want to give too much away, no. but let's just say by the time of the third act, there's... There's going to be a Mrs. Clean. And she could spin off like crazy. Here's one movie hoping to clean up where it counts. At the Cleaners. 
That wraps it for this edition. But Inside Extra Access tonight comes racking back tomorrow with the results of our latest IEAT poll. We asked who's your favorite Jenner, and the results will have you changing your movie. Till then, I'm Mike DeVere. And I'm Pat Bungo. So long from Culver City. And now, information of somewhat greater density, news of the godly. Deadline Spindale, North Carolina. An Associated Press investigation has found that Word of Faith Fellowship used its two church branches in Latin America's largest nation, that would be Brazil, to siphon a steady flow of young laborers who came on tourist and student visas to its 35-acre compound in rural Spindale. Oh, I thought Spindale was a big city. Under U.S. law, visitors on tourist visas are prohibited from performing work for which people normally would be compensated, although those in student visas are allowed some work. On at least one occasion, former members alerted authorities three years ago, three ex-congregants told an assistant U.S. attorney that Brazilians were being forced to work for no pay. And do they beat up the Brazilians? The new U.S. attorney asked. Most definitely. Mostly bring them up here for free work, one of them responded. A couple of them responded. The U.S. attorney, Jill Rose, could be heard promising to look into it, but she never responded when they repeatedly tried to contact her in the months following. Rose declined to comment to the AP, citing an ongoing investigation. Said one of 16 former Brazilian, uh, Brazilian former members who told the AP they were forced to work often for no pay. They kept us as slaves. We were expendable. We meant nothing to them. Brazilians often spoke little English when they arrived. Many had their passports seized. The revelations are forced labor, the latest in an ongoing AP investigation exposing years of abuse at Word of Faith Fellowship. Based on exclusive interviews with 43 former members, documents, and secretly made reporting recordings, the AP reported in February congregants were regularly punched, smacked, and choked in an effort to purify sinners by beating out devils. Those devils are hard to get rid of, in fairness. And uh, now let's spin the globe until it lands at Guam. The ongoing canonical trial, I said canonical trial of Guam Archbishop Anthony Apuron is only the second time in centuries a bishop has been put on trial by the church. It's according to a former board member of the Canon Law Society of America. The last... Such was uh, Joseph Wesolowski, who was accused of sexually abusing children in the Dominican Republic. He was defrocked three years ago. It's very, very rare, and the reason it's rare is because the Vatican or the popes have protected the bishops. They consider them to be the most important part of the church, so they protect them no matter what they've done. That's Thomas Doyle, a Catholic priest and a former board member of the Canon Law Society. As a result, he says, the bishops have gotten away with both sexually abusing children and promoting the sexual abuse of children by allowing priests who knew who they knew were abusive persons to carry on repeat sexual abuse, unquote Doyle. There have been 95 cases filed in federal and local court on Guam. That's one for every person on Guam, accusing priests and others associated with the church of child sexual abuse. Several cases allege some children reported the abuse to other church officials who didn't help them. If the accusations are true, Guam's last three bishops and archbishops sexually abused children or knew about clergy sexual abuse on the island and did nothing to stop it. Well, at least they're following policy. 
news of the godly, ladies and gentlemen, a copyrighted feature of this broadcast. And uh, now what the frack. Oklahoma is earthquake country. Again, more. In less than 28 hours this week, Oklahoma was pummeled by multiple earthquakes. The wave started Tuesday night. Five quakes struck central Oklahoma, extending into the early hours of Thursday as two more hit. All between magnitude 2 and magnitude 5, it's a troubling recent phenomenon, reports Business Insider. The disposal of wastewater from fracking appears to have spiked the wave of earthquakes in Oklahoma, potentially raising the state to the same earthquake threat level as California, but without the surfing. Until recently, as I'm sure you know, earthquakes in Oklahoma were few and far between. As late as 2010, the state experienced just 41. Each year, Southern California alone has about 10,000, but seismic so come for the earthquake, stay for the food. But seismic activity has surged in Oklahoma in recent years. Hundreds of significant quakes in the past few years, along with parts of several other Midwestern states. Scientists link the quake boom to the widespread oil industry practice of pumping waste fluid into underground disposal wells. It's the injection of large quantities of wastewater into wells deep below the Earth's surface. According to the Geological Survey, most of the underground wastewater comes from oil and gas operations. You create wastewater, don't you know? Here's the recipe. Mix clean water with dirt, metals, and other toxins below the Earth's surface while you're extracting oil or gas. Then you've got her. The contaminated water is then too dangerous to dump anywhere. Well, I don't know about that. (laughs) Since it could seep into regular groundwater... Yeah, still. So companies shoot the wastewater deep into the ground between layers of hard rock. That buried water can fracture and move previously stable rock, causing earthquakes under certain circumstances. Much of the wastewater injection is associated with the fracking boom. Oklahoma, unlike some other states where fracking is booming, has eons-old fault lines that went quiet years ago. Wastewater operations seem to be shaking some of the, those faults, bringing those faults back to life. Zombie faults live again. The uh, U.S. Geologic Survey predicts fewer earthquakes for Oklahoma this year than last year. Last year uh, was a big one. U.S. Geological Survey scientists suggest that might be due to stricter regulations designed to control the injection of wastewater. Those damn regulators cutting off our earthquakes. What the frack? Sitting here, eating my heart out, waiting, waiting for some lava to call. I doubt about a thousand numbers lately, almost ran the phone off the wall. I'm looking for some hot stuff, baby, this evening. I need some hot stuff, baby, tonight I'm looking for some hot stuff, baby, this evening I'm gonna find some hot stuff I need some hot stuff tonight Whoa, 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 whoa. Love with a warm-blooded lover I want to bring a white man back 
Show and now the apologies of the week. Russia has apologized. I know it. It it seems counterintuitive, but Russia has publicly apologized for the doping scandal that got the country suspended from international track and field by the. Council of the International Association of Athletics Federations, the IAAF, about a year and a half ago. The apology came from Russia's athletics boss, Dmitry Shalakhtin, in front of an IAAF Congress on the eve of the World Athletics Championships, where Usain Bolt didn't win. I would like to apologize to all athletes who have had gold and silver medals snatched from them at competitions. Shalachtin said, I can assure you that our new team will fight doping and what happened will never happen again. Unquote. Yakov Smirnov commented in Russia, Athletes dope you. Deadline Detroit Roseville High School sent a list of prohibited clothing for the upcoming school year and the list included the American flag. The dress code sparked emotions on social media. Several parents posted a fic- picture of the list on Facebook. Are they not going to fly the American flag either, wrote one person. Other prohibited items included sagging pants, pajamas, spandex as outerwear, mm, muscle shirts, and low-cut shirts. Roseville High representatives posted on the school Facebook page that the packet was sent out with an error. We apologize for the incorrect statement that was in reference to the U.S. flag. The statement was published should have specified that the flag should not be worn in a demeaning manner. The post went on to say the school would never ban the appropriate display of the American flag. The San Diego desk reminds us that the flag code says wearing apparel is prohibited. Quote, The flag should never be used as wearing apparel, bedding, or drapery. It should never be festooned, drawn back, or up in folds, but always allowed to fall free. Bunting of blue, white, and red, always arranged with the blue above, the white in the middle of the red below, should be used for covering a speaker's desk, draping the front of the platform, and for decorations in general. The flag should never be used for advertising purposes in any manner whatsoever. Uh Uh-oh. And the flag, when it is in such condition that it is no longer a fitting emblem for display, should be destroyed in a dignified way, preferably by burning the flag code, ladies and gentlemen. 
The Irish journalist fired for writing what critics called an anti-Semitic newspaper column has apologized and acknowledged that he deserved to be fired. Kevin Meyer said in an interview with an Irish radio station that he was not anti-Semitic. It was stupid of me, the encapsulation of such a complex issue in a single sentence, he said, referring to a line in a column at the end of the last month that played on the stereotype of Jews as hard bargainers. One of my flaws, he said, is to deal with major issues with throwaway lines, unquote. Well, you could be on television. Facebook has been grappling with how to police hate speech on the social network. It admits it doesn't always get it right. Ijeoma Oluo, a black activist and writer in Seattle, tweeted this week that Facebook apologized to her after it suspended her account for several days. Oluo was posting screenshots of racist comments and violent threats that she received in response to a joke she made on Twitter. She went to Cracker Bell on a road trip with her kids, and she said, uh, wrote on Twitter, at Cracker Barrel for the first time looking at the sea of white folk in cowboy hats and wondering, will they let my black ass walk out of here? Unquote. That was her tweet. Users then accused Ulu'u of racism. She said Facebook wasn't helpful and took down her account after she posted screenshots of the hurtful comments. Quote, this isn't okay. I shouldn't have to leave Facebook in order to escape racist hate, unquote. You don't think? Deadline Washington, former Mexican President Vicente Fox doesn't mince words. It was clear Friday morning. He still feels as strongly as ever about President Donald Trump's frequent statements during the presidential campaign that Mexico would pay for the wall between the two countries. During a live appearance on New Day, CNN's Alison Camerata was questioning Fox about current President Peña Nieto's diplomatic tone when conversing with Trump in the leaked transcript of their January phone call. Do you think that he should have been more forceful in saying it's never going to happen? She asked. Quote, Fox, well, you can use my words. We'll never pay for that effing wall. Camerata quickly followed up with an apology. I apologize to our morning audience for the salty language this morning. Perhaps I should have taken that offer for the five-second delay, she added with a laugh. That morning audience, it's so dainty. British Airways has apologized for a temporary problem with its check-in systems at some UK airports. Passengers at Heathrow, Gatwick, and London City airports had to be checked in manually, that is to say once a year, and faced long queues and delays. BA said the fault was resolved and its computerized system was now operating normally. That came after a power cut led to hundreds of fights, flights being canceled over a holiday weekend in May. We're sorry for the temporary check-in problems, said a spokesman, which caused some delays for our customers first thing this morning. It's the mornings. I blame the mornings. The owner of a Dunkin' Donuts plans to meet with two police officers who say they were denied service as his franchise at his franchise in Brooklyn so that he can apologize in person, according to a police union. Two officers who are members of the 73rd Precinct's detective squad were in plain clothes but had their badges and pistols on their belts when they entered the Dunkin' Donuts location last week, according to the Detectives Endowment Association. When they went up to the counter or ice cream, they were ignored by the clerk, the union said. The clerk asked the man standing behind the officers for his order, and when the man mentioned the two officers were in front of him, the clerk said, I know, but I don't serve cops. 
Duggan brand spokeswoman Michelle King released a statement saying the owner of the franchise let the company know about the snub immediately upon learning of it this week. King said the owner is meeting with the police officers in person to apologize. It's not known if the worker involved has faced or will face any sort of discipline for the apparent snub. The corporate apology did not include the entire NYPD. Duncan is thinking of taking the donuts out of its name. No known connection. J.K. Rowling has apologized for a series of tweets that falsely accused President Trump of refusing to shake the hand of a child in a wheelchair during an event last week. She was informed her tweets were not a full or accurate representation of what happened. She also apologized on Twitter to the boy and his family, though she did not apologize to Trump. Europe's budget airline EasyJet flew into a storm last week after it emerged a member of the ground staff at Nice Airport in France had punched one of its passengers in the face while he was holding a baby. He the victim, not he the employee. That would be weird if an airport employee was holding a baby. We had a serious problem with someone of staff from our subcontractor, said uh, the director of Nice Airport. passenger had complained about an 11-hour delay to an, an employee of the contractor. Unable to answer the passenger's questions, the employee suddenly lashed out with a punch. The airline said it was sorry for the flight delay, which it said was due to a technical problem. EasyJet became hardjet, apparently. And the Sunday Times of London also issued a sincere apology to its readers and the Jewish community across the British Isles after publishing that supposedly anti-Semitic column by Kevin Myers, who, uh, whose apology I shared with you earlier. The opinion piece has also been taken off the paper's website. Myers, in writing about the BBC scandal around pay, the high level of pay for certain presenters or hosts on the BBC said, quote, I noticed that two of the best paid women presenters in the BBC are Jewish. Good for them. Jews are not generally noted for their insistence on selling their talent for the lowest possible price, which is the most useful measure there is of an inveterate lose with all hands stupidity. I wonder who are their agents, unquote. The editor of the Sunday Times said the comments were unacceptable and should not have been published. It has been taken down, and we sincerely apologize both for the remarks and the error of judgment that led to publication. The editor of the Sunday Times, Ireland, added, on behalf of the Sunday Times, I apologize unreservedly for the offense caused by comments. As the editor of the Ireland edition, I take responsibility for the error of judgment. Rupert Murdoch had no comment In 2009, the same writer wrote an article for the Belfast Telegraph entitled, There Was No Holocaust. The apologies of the week, ladies and gentlemen, a copyrighted feature of this broadcast. So, General John Kelly has taken over as the chief of staff at the Trump White House. One of his first moves, if not the first, was to dismiss former communications director Anthony Scaramucci, who served a total of 10 days in the role. Kelly's tasks are reportedly uh, including, among, among his priorities, controlling the flow of information to President, <laughs> President Trump. 
president has uh, embarked on a 17-day vacation at his um, country club at Bedminster, New Jersey. But before he left, he had a meeting with, uh, as he likes to call them, his generals, including his uh, National Security Council head, H.R. McMaster, where the subject of discussion was Afghanistan and where Trump said publicly the United States is not winning. So uh, mark that down as Donald Trump told the truth. That's a, um, a short version of his week. Here it is in depth. This week, for the first time, the team has a new chief of staff again. And for the businessman turned chief executive, a long-expected pivot is expected once more. So, General Kelly. Yes, sir. What do I call you, General? Yes, sir. You know why you're here? Why I've ever been anywhere to get rid of the bad guys. So Scaramucci was a bad guy. I kind of liked him. Wasn't he getting more famous than you for a moment? You're right. My God, I almost lost focus. Speaking of which, you said you wanted to choose this week's challenge. Yes, sir. That's part of my brief now. I'll just tuck it in. That's all I ask. So, I want my challenge to be to get your tweeting under control. (laughs) Difficult task. Lots of people have tried it. I didn't come here to do the easy stuff, sir. I know. That's what I'm here for. Okay. What's your game plan? Change the username and password on the account. Could be hard to get me to give it to you. I did harder stuff in Iraq every day before sunrise. How about you come in and supervise while I tweet in the mornings? That could work. You're in the bedroom? The bathroom. And not in the tub. How does that compare to Iraq? I'll get back to you on that, sir. To be absolutely marine honest about it, generals in Iraq never did anything as unpleasant as that. So, for now, it's back to square one on the tweeting. Rupert. Hello, Don. How are your uh, no-good sons? They're fine. How are yours? Do I have to tell you? Uh, At least Eric had the good sense not to look at his email. Look, Rupert, I think of you as the head of my outside team. All I've ever wanted is to be as close to supreme power as humanly possible. Good. Look, this may be the most difficult task for any of my teams. Great. Managing Sean Hannity just isn't that much of a challenge. I met with my generals yesterday. They tell me we're losing in Afghanistan. Yeah, I heard that. Not on my network, but... Rupert, what's my brand? Mm, Brash indifference to political norms. Winning. Um, I promised people they'd be tired of winning. They can't be tired of winning if we're losing. I'm tired of people not being tired of winning, believe me. Are you telling me my task is to figure out a strategy for winning in Afghanistan that your generals couldn't? You know, if the media mogul thing ever slows down, you could get a job as a mind reader, I will tell you that. Right. Well, just off the top of the noggin, what if we blanketed Afghanistan with cheap internet and cheap screens 
and then filled hours and hours of their waking time with cheaply made shows about the lives of Afghans that we made into uh, instant celebrities. What's the point of that? Well, people would be too distracted to fight. Just a thought. Your job this week is to come up with a better thought. I'll ask my sons. Booch, you know my new chief of staff. Hey, General Kelly, no hard feelings. You know, I still love this man. Sit down, Mr. Scaramouche. Uh, sitting down is one of my favorite things. I use it as a power position. So I guess I'm being invited back on the team. That didn't take long, shorter than my first time on the team. Mooch, you're not back on the team. But you do have a task this week. See, that's what's amazing about you. I'm fired and you're still giving me assignments. What's up? The general will tell you. We saw the statement that you were going to be on some TV hookup this week to talk to the base. The guy who used to run Fox is setting it up. He's a friggin' monster. Your task this week is to cancel that appearance. Uh, It's my base, Mooch. You want to talk to a base? Go out and get your own base. Well, this is all doable. I mean, back in the neighborhood when I came up, this would happen a lot. But what do I say to explain why I'm canceling? Not to the base, but, you know, to, like, the world. I believe the playbook calls for you to say that uh, you want to spend more time with your family. Great. Let's go with that. It's a dynamite proposition, but I think, thanks to the fake news, everyone knows that my wife has filed for divorce, so... So, tell people you want to spend more time with your lawyer. This is why I love this man. New team, new tasks, same mission. We're going to make not losing great again. Now, the world is his boardroom. Via Presidentis. This week... A new way to keep score on the golf course. Now, ladies and gentlemen, our friend The Atom is in the news. Clean, safe, too cheap to meet. Save, cheap, too cheap to meet. Clean, save, too safe to meet. Save, save, too safe to meet. Eddie The Atom has been delayed at the border. Members of a watchdog group say communities in East Suffolk, England, are potentially missing out on millions of pounds because the government does not classify spent fuel from the local nuclear plant as nuclear waste. Used fuel rods from the power station are being kept in a dry fuel storage facility with government officials no closer to finding a site for a national geological waste disposal facility. Four years ago, after the uh, local county rejected a plan to bury the waste deep into rock near the plant, government officials said communities would get up to uh, $53 million if they allowed a site to be used as a dump. But uh, if it's not called nuclear waste, says uh, a member of a watchdog group, this part of Suffolk, will not get a penny in community benefits to offset the nastiness of having it on our doorstep. The dry fuel store, designed to hold 100 years' worth of spent fuel, long beyond the remainder of the expected 60 years of operation of the power station. The Environment Agency has disputed the description of the spent fuel, saying it's not waste. It could be reprocessed and reused. Waste not. Deadline, Vernon, Vermont, Energy Nuclear has uncovered an additional problem area in which a former radiation technician failed to conduct safety tests and then falsified documents about it. 
In a report filed last week with the Nuclear Regulatory Commission, Energy said it would not fight an earlier safety violation uncovered by an NRC investigator last year at the Vermont Yankee nuclear plant. That finding alleged the same radiation technician failed to test equipment which monitors workers' radiation exposure. That technician lost his access to the plant and then was fired. And then was... No, nothing else happened. A willful decision not to perform required daily calibration checks of radioactive uh, of radiation safety equipment was what was cited by the National Nuclear Regulatory Commission. The uh, spokesman for energy said the technician was supposed to have done certain activities and he did not do those and he documented as if he did. That was a violation of NRC regulations. Once you put your name to it and didn't do it, it's willful, he said, the spokesman for the company, adding there was no evidence the action was egregious. So it was willful, but not egregious. Peter Bradford, former commissioner at the Nuclear Regulatory Commission and past chairman of the New York and Maine State Utility Regulatory Commissions, said this week the methods used to finance two nuclear plant projects in the southern United States encourage too much spending and risk-taking by the utilities. Traditionally, most big power plants were financed by the utilities' shareholders while they were being built after completion. Customers would then pay back the cost of the plants through an increase in their power rates. The new financing method has been a disastrous mistake, Bradford said. That allows the companies to charge rate payers while the plants are under construction, even if the plants are never completed and never produce a an erg of electricity. It, he says, shifts the cost of project failure, the risk of project failure, onto customers instead of the investors and lenders who should properly bear them. Freed of responsibility for the consequences of their mistakes, utility executives too often plunge into ill-advised schemes to pad their rate bases and individual con- compensation instead of selecting less costly alternatives, he said. These are communities in South Carolina and Georgia that are being impacted. The Center for Public Integrity reports that plutonium capable of being used in a nuclear weapon, conventional explosives, and highly toxic chemicals have been improperly packaged or shipped by nuclear weapons contractors at least 25 times in the past five years, according to government documents. The materials were not ultimately lost. The documents reveal repeated instances in which hazardous substances, vital-making nuclear bombs and their components were mislabeled before shipment, meaning those transporting and receiving them were not warned of the safety risks and didn't take required precautions to protect themselves or the public. The risks were discovered only after regulators conducted inspections during transit. Those damn regulators, why don't they mind their own? The Nuclear Regulatory Commission has issued a second confirmatory order to the TVA to conduct safety concerns in its nuclear fleet. That includes an extensive list of corrective actions the TVA, the Tennessee Valley Authority, must perform to address the poor safety culture at Watts Bar Nuclear Power Plant and other plants in the fleet. This is the second order the commission has issued to TVA regarding the company's safety culture. Listen to La Traviata while you're conducting safety measurements. That would be a safety culture. When two South Carolina utilities scrapped a nuclear power plant in mid-construction. This week, customers were left with a $5 billion bill that will take decades to pay off. That's one of those 
plants cited by Bradford, the nuclear, the retired nuclear regulator. Charlotte-based Duke Energy has planned to build a new nuclear plant in South Carolina, won a federal license in December. The the abrupt abandonment of the plant by uh, two other utilities did little to entice Duke to go ahead with its own plan. But even if it never builds its Lee nuclear station, its customers will be on the block for $541 million. You got that on you, don't you? The Department of Energy plans to step up monitoring of the Hanford Tunnel, storing highly radioactive waste that's in Washington state, while it studies ways to keep the tunnel from collapsing. It proposes convening a best and brightest expert panel to analyze options for the tunnel at the nuclear reservations plant. It said in a report delivered to the Washington State Department of Ecology, more study is not what the state expected the Department of Energy to propose. The state issued a legal order three months ago requiring the DOE to submit a plan to stabilize the structure of both the plant's intact tunnel and another waste storage tunnel there that was partially collapsed in May. DOE had earlier proposed filling the breached tunnel with grout as a temporary stabilization method. The plan that was delivered Tuesday does not identify a plan to stabilize the intact tunnel. No grout, milady. And speaking of the Hanford plutonium facility, on June 8th, approximately 300 Hanford workers were ordered to take cover after alarms designed to detect elevated levels of airborne radioactive contamination went off. It was quickly determined that radioactive particles had been swept out of a containment zone. The work is considered the most hazardous demolition project on the entire nuclear reservation. At the time, Hanford officials called the safety measure precautionary. Officials from the Department of Energy and the contractor in charge downplayed the seriousness of the event. Workers were not at risk. But investigators for local TV station King 5 had discovered those statements are incorrect. The first 65 workers tested. A small number of employees showed positive results for internal exposures to plutonium. 20% is the small number. Still outstanding are more than 200 other tests for employees. Several veteran Hanford workers were surprised by the number of people with internal contamination from a single event. I've never seen this many people contaminated internally, said someone who's worked there for 27 years. Clean, cheap, safe to contaminated Demeter. Our friend the Adam. And now, ladies and gentlemen, one item of news of the warm. A new study finds that simply paying landowners in the developing world to not cut down trees can significantly reduce carbon in the atmosphere. It may also be a very cost-effective way to help meet goals such as the Paris Accord targets, you know, the ones the United States is ignoring now. The study published in the journal Science found that in Uganda, offering small financial incentives to landowners cut deforestation in half because the amounts of money are very fairly small, paying the farmers to conserve and plant trees was 10 to 50 times more effective per dollar spent than many energy efficiency programs in the United States. Paying the poor to do our job for us. What a new idea. News of the warm. 
Well, ladies and gentlemen, that's going to conclude this week's edition of the show. The program returns next week at the same time over these same stations over NPR worldwide throughout Europe. The U.S. 440 cable system in Japan, around the world, through the facilities of the American Forces Network, up and down the east coast of North America by the shortwave giant WBCQ, the planet, 7.490 megahertz shortwave. On the mighty one four in Berlin, on the mighty Soho Radio in London, Around the world via the internet at two different locations, live and archived whenever you want it, harryshure.com and kcsn.org. Available for your smartphone through stitcher.com and available as a free podcast from Sideshow Network, SoundCloud, iTunes, tunein.com, and wwno.org. That's probably where uh, The Daily Show hears us and steals from us, don't you think? I do. And it would be just like The Daily Show stealing from me. Some more. If you'd agree to join with me then, would you? Oh, no, they're just being inspired. Thank you very much. Uh-huh. A typical show chapeau to the San Diego, Pittsburgh, Chicago, and exile in Hawaii desks. Thanks, as always, to Pam Halstead and to Jenny Lawson at WWNO New Orleans for help with today's broadcast. The email address for this program, playlist of the music heard here on, and your chance to get Cars I Talk t-shirts just in time for Labor Day, all at harryshearer.com. I'm on Twitter at the Harry Shearer. Still. Kind of like an addiction. The show comes to you kind of. The show comes to you from Century of Progress Productions and originates through the facilities of WWNO New Orleans flagship station of the Change is Easy Radio Network. So long from the home of the homeless.